Uh, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, man. All right. So um, I've got this. I've been telling. I've got this cool laser pointer. There it is. No? I think he decided to break on me. Uh, he's broke. All right. Maybe he'll work when we get to him. But um, So we'll put that to the side for now. But that was supposed to be a joke to make you guys laugh, to kind of break the ice. But now it's just awkward. Um, but anyway, um, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the awesome display of your glory and your love through those precious little girls. God, we just thank you for... Um, how amazing that was. And, and, and God, just thank you for the kids in our church. Um, God, we just pray that today you open up our minds and our hearts. Um, as we come before you, we learn about your holiness. Um, sometimes an uh, intimidating concept, an intimidating um, word, God. But um, may we just understand it more than ever after today. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So, anybody, everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah. How many of you guys had steak for Thanksgiving? Where's he at? That, Darren, can you raise your hand? This guy is a steak master. Um, that's, that's my wife's dad um, and mom and grandma and grandpa. So if we could give them a nice welcome. They're here from Madison, Indiana. Um, yeah. We had steak for Thanksgiving, and then we went Black Friday shopping. And it's, ugh, gosh. One of the most frustrating things that I've ever done in my life. Um, but that, that actually, that'll test your faith if you've been Black Friday shopping. So, um, but, in, but what a better way to follow up Thanksgiving than with a big butt whooping on Michigan yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they took them out. My beloved Vols destroyed the Vanderbilt Commodore, so it's a good Sunday. All we have to do... Somebody clap for the Vols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Go Vols. Um, Rocky Top. Um, but we just need to get the Bengals back on the winning trail here. But maybe they can do that today against the Rams. I don't know. But anyway, um, Rick Warren is a, he's an author, and he's the head pastor of Saddleback Church in California. And he once said, he said this in one of his books. And he said, Christ-likeness is your, your eventual destination, um, but... The journey will last a lifetime. So Christ-likeness is your eventual, eventual destination, but, but the journey will last a lifetime. And so I think Rick Warren really hit the, the nail on the head here when he said this, because here's the thing. It's, it's, our number one calling isn't our careers. Our number one calling isn't to be mom or dad. Our number one calling isn't to be a husband or a wife. Our number one calling isn't to be a coach. Our number one calling isn't to have the best theological belief system beyond anybody else that you know or can compare to. It's, it's not pride. It's, it's neither of any of those things. Though some of those things are great things, being a mother, a father, husband, and wife. But our number one calling, first and foremost, is to become more like Christ. To be on this journey of holiness. And so today, because here's the thing, if we don't, if we're not on the journey to the holiness, here's what we settle for. We settle for this. If we're not moving forward in holiness, then we're retreating back. If we're not chasing after the heart of God and his holiness and to become more Christ-like, then we settle to retreat back into the arms and the lies of Satan. 
And the hardest thing about that, about not, and sometimes we don't realize it and we're being lied to, because Satan will use the contentment and the happiness of our careers. He'll use the contentment and happiness of our, of our nice houses, of, our, of, of, of being caught up in being um, so successful, or even maybe you identify yourself in your failures. But if we do not pursue Jesus Christ and his holiness, it's not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of holiness. And the culture that we live in has kind of put in our minds that it's the pursuit of happiness. You've got to have the biggest house, the biggest cars. You've got to have the, the best career. You've got to make it to the top in your business. Though, I want you to understand I'm not condemning any of those things. Those are great things. But if it's not Christ in the foreset of our mind, we are being lied to by the enemy. And he keeps us content and he keeps us happy. Instead of having us chase after holiness, and again, there's nothing wrong with being happy, but if our goal is to pursue happiness rather than pursue holiness, happiness requires us to be great all the time, and, and we get our way, and we get our, 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 our passions, and, and we, we just get the things that we love. But holiness at times requires us to be extremely and undeniably uncomfortable uncomfortable and if we are so much pursuing comfort then we're pursuing happiness if we understand that at times we're going to be happy but happiness is different than joy but holiness and cap in overall covers both happiness and joy which neither one are wrong to have but like i said if we chase after happiness we are subtly and convincingly being lied to by satan because we're choosing, without realizing it, to retreat back. And like I said, the scary part is, is half the time we don't even know we're being lied to by the enemy. That's the scary part of that. But so what is holiness? What is holiness? It's, it's very much an intimidating term and, and, and concept. Because last week as I was sitting at the kitchen table... Um, Kayla was in the living room doing homework, and I was at the kitchen table shortly after Jeff asked me to preach today, and I was just like, what in the world do you want me to speak on? What, what, what does our church and myself, what do we need to hear as a church? And so I was, script, I was flipping through Scripture, and I was flipping through, I made through the Old Testament, and I got to the New Testament, I was flipping through the Old Te- New Testament, and I got to 1 Peter, where Peter's talking about holiness, chasing after holiness. And something in me, the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to speak on that. And immediately I was like, oh, goodness gracious, not that. That is intimidating. Like, there's a lot of stuff that goes into holiness. And like, I'm approaching this holiness, God, and I, want, I don't know what, but God said, again, it's not about your happiness and your comfort in this context. I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable here. And you're going to chase after a concept that you really, you know that you should be chasing, but you're not really uh, familiar with. Um, so we're going to look at holiness, and here's the statement that we're going to look at today. Though it's intimidating, it's, we've got one thing that we can be confident in. We can approach the journey with confidence. Like Rick Warren was talking about, um, Christ-likeness will eventually be our destination, but the journey will last a lifetime. So we know that we can approach the journey with confidence, and we're going to try to break down what holiness is today um, just a little, just try to get a grasp on it. There's no possible way we're going to get the full grasp of holiness in 30 minutes. No way. But we're going to try to understand it to, to a point where it might not be so intimidating. For those of us who, like me, it was very intimidating at first. I was like, I've got to learn this and then basically spit it back out. And it was just super intimidating because I wasn't familiar with it. 
But I feel like God has really lined us up today, as he does every Sunday, to figure out what holiness is so that we can move forward. Um, but we're, we're, we're going out of 1 Peter. And so I want to give you a little background of 1 Peter. First, the author is Peter, um, the apostle Peter, um, because it says so. We, there's some kind of fight against um, whether the, the authorship is, is, is confirmed to be Peter. But, it, but in the book... Um, of Peter, it says, to God's elect strangers, it's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So that's who we give credit to as the author. But number two, the audience are dispersed Jews who have been scattered um, because of Roman oppression under Emperor Nero at the time. So they were facing a lot of persecution and a lot of oppression by the Roman government. And so um, Peter is writing to these dispersed Jews, these Christians, um, giving them encouragement to, to to move forward, to be steadfast during times of oppression and during times of persecution. So as we're reading this today, keep in mind that that's the background of this book, and it's, it's written to dispersed Jews, also to us as well. Um, but we're going to keep a lot of focus on, on, on those, on those uh, concepts. We're going to read through First Peter real quick. I'm going to read through it one time, and then we're going to break it down and see what holiness is. And it says, starting in verse 13, it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your, from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, so it's pretty, pretty deep stuff there. But what we're going to do is Peter, this is essentially Peter's sermon here to these dispersed Jews, and he uses Leviticus. Keep in mind, his audience are very well educated with the Old Testament. Um, so he uses Leviticus. It's in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, that it says, be holy because I am holy. And so Peter's using that scripture sort of basically as the centrality of his, gospel, of his message for his sermon um, to those Jews. And we're going to go back and forth from Leviticus to now, and we're going to see kind of where Peter's coming from and, and, and define this holiness because the same holiness that's in the Old Testament that he's referring to is the same holiness in the New Testament church and so on and to today. So we're going to look at that, but we're going to look at that through three points. And point number one says this, as we journey together, holiness is a journey back to the source of all life. Holiness is a journey back to the source of all life. And so we go back to when Peter said, therefore, prepare your mind. So what Peter is saying in verse 13, he's saying, prepare your minds. In that time, it was a custom 
for, for people to wear long robes. And, and they would, and essentially what he's saying is he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, take your loins, um, and, and what they would do is they would tie, pull it between their legs and around their waist and tie it when they were preparing for action or strenuous activity. And so Peter's saying, prepare your minds, gird up your loins, and prepare to run. Prepare to, to, to fight. So, for example, um, what he's saying is like not only to see Christ work, but be ready to obey Christ immediately. So, yeah, it's one thing to see Christ work. He's saying prepare your minds because keep in mind they're oppressed and they're being um, um, uh, persecuted. And so he's saying prepare your minds because when those times come, it's going to be easy to step back. It's going to be easy to, to, to deny the name of Christ. So prepare your minds, gird up your loins, and be ready to run in the faith. Be ready to stand up for Christ. Because strenuous activity requires people to stand up, and, and usually you're playing to win something, right? And so he's saying prepare your minds because the victory has already been won in Christ. And then he says set your hope fully on the grace. And this hope is a preparation for the rewards that we are to gain by being firm in the, uh, in the faith when we get to heaven. And then, he said, and then basically what he's saying is that hope will carry you through the temptation during times of oppression, during times of persecution, to, to stay strong and be, and be fully devoted to Christ by seeking holiness. By seeking holiness. And so, um, and then he goes on in verse 14, as obedient children. And when he says as obedient children, here's the thing. He, he really puts a lot of focus in these three words to say, in order to be an obedient child, you have to be in a relationship with the loving father. So in order to be a child, there has to be a father. And so, these, so it has to be a one-on-one relationship with the father. And then he goes on in verse to say this. Um, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And he is showing here... Like Leviticus, like we said, that's his, that's his scripture for his sermon. It's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, essentially. And he's saying, it is written in Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. And what he's saying to his audience is, it's the same holiness that was in Leviticus then as it is now. In their current time, and during the times of persecution and oppression, he's saying, listen, the same holiness that we know about in the Old Testament is the same holiness that's, that's dwelling here now. It's dwelling here now. So prepare your minds and be ready. The only way you'll be ready and move forward is if you focus on Jesus and have the pursuit of holiness, not the pursuit of comfort, because they were in a position of nothing but they were in a position of no comfort. But he was saying pursue, pursue holiness. Prepare your minds. Be ready to run and for Christ. Be ready to stand up and be firm in your mind of who is the Lord. Um, my dad, here's a story. I was, um, in fourth grade and my dad played minor league professional football, um, for the Lee County rebels. It was, a, it was like, we lived in Claiborne County and Virginia was right here. And it was about an hour drive to Lee County. And he played for the Lee County rebels and he played, and I'll never forget. It was kind of like going to a more aggressive high school football game if you will. It wasn't that big of a deal, but still he was playing against some massive dudes. And so he played against this one guy one time 
um, who was a linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and something had happened in his career. I don't remember who his name was. I just know I was fourth grade. Um, but it was pretty cool to see this guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers. My dad was the wide receiver for the team, and he ran a cross route in the middle of the field, and this Pittsburgh Steelers guy absolutely ate my dad alive. I was like, my dad just disappeared into the grass. I was like, where in the world is he? Um, but after that, you can imagine he quit. <laughs> um, he was done. Football was over. Uh, he was like, I think he was like 34 at the time. He was. My parents are really young. Um, so he was at that age about where professional athletes are retiring anyway. Um, and so he quit. But at the same time, because my dad took on, he played for about two years. And I went to every single one of his home games for two years. My, me and my little, myself and my little brother, and we gained a passion for football. I gained a huge passion for football. And so after he quit, I started playing football at the beginning of my sixth grade year. Played through middle school, played through high school, and ended up playing a year in college. But I quit after the freshman year because of financial reasons. Um, just, just kind of fell through. So that was God's way of telling me. And he sent me to Johnson and majored in youth ministry and whatnot. But that's another topic beyond the point. But what I'm trying to say here is... My dad, as we're sitting here studying that Jesus Christ is the source of all life, we need to focus on Jesus as the source of all of our lives and in every aspect. My dad was the source of my football career, essentially. Does that make sense? It started with my dad. I, I watched him play. I grew a passion. And I just, from then on, I just wanted to become the best football player that I could ever be because my dad played football. He might not have played for the NFL, but he played football for a little small redneck town that had a little professional team of a bunch of big rednecks, right? And I wanted to play football. I wanted to do that. And so it's kind of like that in our Christian walks, right? When If we know that Jesus is the source of all of our lives, then we want to become the best and the most obedient followers for Christ. But the thing is, we have to know why. We have to know why. And we'll get into that here in a bit. But we, but Jesus is the source of our pursuit of holiness and for, I, don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I want to be the best representation that I can possibly be as the, from, as the holiness of Christ. And it's crazy that we're called to even, it's just such a privilege to be in the presence of his holiness. So I want to ask you today, what is the source of your life? Is it your career? Just focusing on this one point, is it your career? Is the source of your life to be a husband or a wife? To be a mother to be a father, to be a daughter, to be a son, to be an athlete, to be in a band, to look the best every day you walk out the door. Again, none of those things are bad things. I don't want that to become, oh, he's condemning our careers. Not at all. It's Christ. is the source of our life, Christ. And everything that we experience in life day in and day out is a, just a blessing it's just a blessing from Christ. It's like the icing on the cake, and we're so privileged and blessed to live in that. But here's when we know we're pursuing holiness. If Christ came before you today and asked you to leave your career and move somewhere totally uncomfortable and become, I know this is drastic, but this is the reality of it, and he asked you to move and become a missionary somewhere, would you be able to say yes because you're pursuing holiness, or would you say no because you want your comfort and happiness? And that's my challenge for that point. But this, and it goes on, we're going to look at point number two. And holiness is a journey of reverent, of reverent fear in the power of Jesus Christ. Holiness is a journey of reverent fear in the power of Jesus Christ. And so First Peter goes on 
um, in verse 17. And he says, since you call on a father. When he says, since you call on a father, what he's saying is, it's a habitual act of worship. Since you call on the father. It's a reverent fear, a reverent approach to, to, to the father to, to, to give us energy and strength, especially for them, during times of oppression, during times of persecution. Again, you're obedient children, and you call upon the Father. It's a one-on-one relationship. You seek Him in the things that you do. He's the source of your life. And in reverent fear, since you call upon the Father. And it's also an accountability for ourselves. And I don't want this, and when we say reverent fear, we usually think of an all-factor during worship, right? You get that, that feeling of, oh, man, I feel so good and God is so powerful, right? True, very much true. I'm not undermining that by any means. But what about the fear part? I, I also want us to see that God is a loving father, but he's also a, a wrathful judge. He is a God of wrath. And we see it many times through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we're going to get, that to get to that here in a minute because, as we know, Peter's referring to the Old Testament for, for, this, for this sermon, if you will, to his audience. But we must understand that a good father never lets disobedience go unnoticed. If my dad, when growing up, let me just do whatever I want, I would have grew up into the worst possible human being on the planet, probably. I would have been a spoiled brat and I would have had my way all the time. And I would have wanted happiness. But a good father does not let discipline or or disobedience go unnoticed. A good father disciplines his children. Why? Because he wants them to grow up and be be essentially great, good people. I mean, and, and not only that, but to be holy followers of Christ. And so when I played football, my coach always told me, if I'm not getting on to you, then you've got something to worry about. Right? Because I was, I was like, Coach, why are you getting on to me? He's like, because I love you and I see a ton of potential in you and I want you to meet that potential. And sometimes we look at him like, God, why? And he's saying, because you're my child. I see potential in you and I want you to meet that potential. Sometimes I've got to make you a little uncomfortable to, to kind of put some revelation of truth inside of you. Right? Does that make sense? The father disciplines his children. Um, and then it moves on to say this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires of this world that you once had when you lived in ignorance. And listen, the key words here is that do not conform to the evil desires of this world that you once had. And he's saying don't focus on the things you once had because here's the thing. It's easy to fall back into worldly fun and worldly desires. It is. It's easy. It takes literally really no effort. But he says, don't focus on the evil desires that you once had, but focus on the power that you now have to overcome the evil desires that you once had. And he's telling that to his, to his audience. Again, keep in mind, they're oppressed and they're facing persecution. And he's saying, remain steadfast. Keep your minds focused on the power of Christ, not on the power that you once held in yourself, and you tried to live on by yourself, but focus on the power of Christ. Um, and, and I want to give you a few more examples of this reverent fear. Um, and give you, 
There's a picture of the sun that we have here. And here's what I want us to see. This represents God's holiness, just for the context of, of I know it's a result of his holiness, but this, we're going to make this the embodiment of all God's holiness just for this context right now. Um, the sun is the source of all life. Okay, without the sun, have no planets, have no oxygen, therefore we have no human beings who can't breathe, no animals, right, have no food, all right? The sun is the source of all life. But the closer that you get to the sun, eventually it will ultimately disintegrate you, right? It'll destroy you. That's how powerful that the sun is. And ultimately, that's God's holiness. And you say, why, why, how in the world could God's holiness um, destroy me? Let me give you an ex- a few examples, okay? So um, there's a story in Scripture um, in Leviticus where um, the, the, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and because of they're carrying the Ark of the Lord back to, to, to its intended uh, goal or intended destination, and, and a few people decided, hey, this is a great idea. Let's look into the Ark of the Lord, right? And so they look, they open up the Ark of the Lord, and, it's, and the Scripture tells us it killed 70 people. The moment they opened it, it took out 70 people who were in the vicinity of the Ark of the Lord. Ultimately, I know that's within the context, and then we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the tabernacle and how that comes into play. Um, I know that now we don't get killed by the Ark of the Lord because we don't, we don't have one. We, it's ultimately, the bridge has been gapped, and I'm going to get to that in a second. Hold that thought, okay? Um, but also in Exodus, okay, Moses um, was raised um, in Egypt. At the same time, his people were under oppression. They were slaves. And Moses is just kind of hanging out one day, and he looks down an alley and sees that one of the Israelites is being beaten by one of Pharaoh's slave masters. And so Moses takes matters into his own hands, okay, and he kills the slave. Moses, in fear, flees Egypt, all right? He says, ah, goodness, Pharaoh's going to come after me, and he's going to have his army after me. I'm dead meat. So he flees. And a year, time passes, and he's hanging out in the desert, and he's in his tent, and, and, and God approaches him through the form of a burning bush. And he says, Moses, come here. Well, essentially, Moses saw it and was like, how in the world is that bush burning, but it's not burning out? And Scripture says that he was curious, so he went and checked it out. But as he was approaching it, God said to Moses, Moses, come here. And the closer, and Moses got to this certain point, the burning bush, and, and uh, the Lord says, Moses, stop. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. Why do you think God told Moses not to come any closer? Because the holiness of God in all of its embodiment could, will literally, we couldn't take, we couldn't deal with the holiness of God. And I just can't, I can't explain it to you. It's powerful. It's like the sun. Close you get to it, it'll disintegrate you. That's how powerful it is. And that's living in reverent fear. And for Moses' sake, God said, do not come any closer, Moses, because you have no idea how powerful I really am. And Moses fell on his knees before the Lord and obeyed. He had some, some pushback, but eventually he obeyed what the Lord called him to do. And that was the start of the Exodus. Um, he called his people out. I want you to go before Pharaoh and take my people, bring my people out of captivity. And we're kind of like that in our faith, aren't we? we I just, what I mean by reverent fear is when we approach his presence, don't we kind of take it for granted? 
like we just run into it whenever we want. Like we can, that's the privilege. That's in, but it's kind of like we only run into it when we need it. It's like, oh my goodness, God, I've got this request and I've got this request and I've got this request and could you do this and could you do this and this and this and this? But I think about it and I just want us to think, I want us to close our eyes for a minute and think about this. When you get, when you stand before the Lord, the, the day that you pass on from this earth and you stand before the Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be running and then be like, hey God, can you do this and do this and do this? It's going to be an embodiment of his holiness and I'm going to be like, oh, like Moses. I'm going to fall to my knees and be speechless and, be, and just be in constant awe and just say, God, I'm so sorry that I took your holiness in your, in, your, in your presence for granted. I never realized how powerful it actually was, even though he shows us examples in Scripture of how powerful it is. And as we see Moses before the burning bush, and just for Moses' sake, he says, Moses, don't come any closer. I need you to take your sandals off. So are we living in reverent fear? Are we knowing that we're before a loving God and a loving Father, but also we have a Father who is a very wrathful judge? And though we are Christians, that condemnation is taken off of us. As we know in John verse 3, verse 17, it's, it's taken off of us. But we still serve a God who is just as wrathful then, is just as holy then, and as he is now. And are we living in reverent fear? of Jesus Christ as a loving father, but also a wrathful judge. And he takes, he, 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 a good father disciplines, as we said earlier, disciplines his children. Not because he wants to abuse his wrath, but because his wrath and his love come together. It's hard to understand, I know, and I can't explain it to you, but it does. That's part of his love is his wrath. And are we, are we living a life in reverent fear? Which brings us to point number three. Holiness is a journey of purity and love. And so we see in 1 Peter, verse 22, when Peter says, now that you have purified yourselves. Now I want to focus on the word purified. Because in the Old Testament, purification was kind of a big deal. Um, it was anything, okay, there, was, there was two different kinds of purity that you see in the Old Testament. There was moral purity, which is pretty self-explanatory following the morals, the, all, the universal morals that we all follow and, 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 and live by. And then there's ritual purity. So anything that was impure was associated with death, literally. So a way to become ritually impure would be to touch a dead body, to touch a disease, to eat certain animals, Okay, so Leviticus is just full of all kinds of instructions and just sometimes a very confusing book. But this is the avenue that Peter comes from, and he says, purify yourselves. And so, what he, and so as he said, purify yourselves, they knew immediately, ooh, Leviticus is a book of setting apart the righteous apart from the death. And so we got an, a slide of, I just want to show you guys this. Um, ooh, it works. Ooh, way to go, God. Okay, cool. Um, so this is the tabernacle, all right? And this was, this was instruction. Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle after he received the Ten Commandments. And this was a way for the people of Israel to become pure. But only the high priest and the priest could enter into this. The, the priest could enter this area. The high priest could only enter into this area. 
Okay, and he only entered one day of the year, which was the Day of Atonement. And so keep in mind, again, Peter's using Leviticus as a foundation for a sermon. And this is purity in that time. So in the outer, this is the outer courtyard. In the outer courtyard, this is where they would offer up sacrifices on behalf of the Israelite people on, and for, for the forgiveness of their sins. On once a year, the Day of Atonement. And then this is the holy place. And then this is the Holy of Holies. And this little curtain that you see right here is the veil. And as we know that when Christ died on the cross, we know that the veil was torn, okay, which broke that boundary before just high priests and then a regular old Israelite who couldn't go in there because the wrath of God was so powerful in the Ark of the, in the, Ark of the Lord, Ark of the Covenant, that it would kill them, literally. If they came into any vicinity without being pure or purifying themselves, we know that there's stories in Scripture where they, people would be killed just by entering into the presence of God. It was that powerful. And so that, then it was only the high priest that could go on behalf of the people into the Holy of Holies. And that's where he would receive divine instruction and divine communication one-on-one with the Lord. And that, was what, that, that little box, the Ark of the Covenant, was the full embodiment of God's holiness. Um, and only, again, only the high priest could even go even in the vicinity of it. Um, so when we see purify, when we see Peter saying, purify them yourselves, here is, we know the instruction in Leviticus of impure and pure, but then we see, I can imagine his audience saying, oh, the tabernacle. Oh, that makes sense. And not only that, but when he said Christ is the, is, when he said that um, a, a lamb without blemish or defect, uh, in the, they, that's what they would use would be lambs and, and to offer up sacrifices before the Lord for their forgiveness of sins. And so... When, and then he goes on to say that now Jesus is your lamb without blemish or defect. Now that you, you have the opportunity, you have the privilege of entering into the holiness of God. And, and on the cross, the veil was torn. So now not only high priests can go into the Holy of Holies, but you now can go into the Holy of, the Holy of Holies. You are now your very own priesthood. And he proves that by going on, and, and he says this later on in Second Peter chapter 2, Verse 9, and it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So today, we sit here and we're our very own priesthood. We now can enter into the presence of God. The veil was torn, and that Jesus Christ, the cross, was the bridge between that, that gap between God and his people, and now we have the opportunity to enter into his holiness. Now, are we living in reverent fear? Are we chasing the source of all life? Are we living in reverent fear? And are we living in purity so that we can love? It, in Scripture, Peter commands, he says, Pur- purify yourselves so that you can love. Purify yourself so that you can love. Because holiness is displays godliness. It, it's, that's true love. It's not the worldly love that we know of, but true love, you, you, true love is purified. It's, it's life inside of Jesus. It's life in his holiness. It's life, this continual chasing of Jesus Christ. And so today I just want us to pursue holiness. And you say, how do I pursue holiness? Well, those three points 
it's a start, but it's holiness is such an intimidating it just can't explain it. That's why it's holiness. It's other. It's in its own category. Um, but today I just I, I want us to know too that when we pursue holiness, yes, we read scripture, we pray. Um, we, we show love to people. We do what the Bible commands. Um, we don't steal. We don't kill. We, we, we worship no other God but the Lord of heaven. Um, but here's the thing. I want us to, yes, it's because the Bible says so. I understand that. But I just don't want it to be that because we need more substance to this. We need more substance than if somebody were to ask us, why do you pursue holiness? Well, because the Bible says so. Yes, as a Christian, it's because the Bible says so. But to non-Christians, the Bible's irrelevant. And so when they ask us, what is this? What is, essentially, they're asking, what is this holiness in you? They might not use those terms, but what is this holiness in you? How, what is it? And you tell them, well, I pursue it by doing this because it means this to my life. It's part of me. It's not just because the Bible says so. Because I remember as a kid, um, my mom would always tell me, great parents, but she would always tell me, because I said so. Why, Mom? Because I said so. When I was a kid, that had power over me. When I was a toddler, it worked. Okay, oh, whatever. But as a teenager, when she said, because I said so, I wanted to know why. What is it, Mom, that you have experienced that, that you're trying to tell me? What is it that, that you've experienced that you're trying to, to help me avoid? Why should I not do this? And if she continued to say, because I said so, eventually I went and disobeyed anyway. Now, kids, that isn't a granted permission for you to go disobey your parents when they say, because I said so. Because, but I needed more substance. And people who are seeking Christ's love, and they don't even realize it, they know they need community, but they don't want to hear from us. I just do it because the Bible says so. Yeah, the Bible says so. It means something to us, but to them, the Bible's irrelevant. But we tell them why we do it. And then it, sh- and it means something to us. It means so it's part of us. It's not just words on a piece of paper. It means something to us. And so um, today, we, we, we kind of tried to dissect holiness just a little bit. And uh, I, I just want us to be able to, myself included, I'm not preaching to the choir. I really, whenever I do, I, God spoke to my heart this week, and I, I promise before you, I want to strive as a member of Grace Chapel Church and as a pastor of this church, I want to pursue holiness. And I want you to come alongside with me and with Jeff and with Kevin and with Adam and, and the staff of this awesome church to pursue holiness. Because if we do it individually, we'll be unstoppable as a church. So... Um, we pursued that. Let's continue to pursue holiness. And it doesn't stop there. Those three points aren't the only definition to it. I want us to find out more in our personal lives. What is holiness? What is it? There's so much more to it. You'll never grasp the full concept of it. But you can leave here and find out more of what holiness is. There's so much more that we haven't even covered today. And remember, if you're being disciplined by a good father and a wrathful judge, it's a sign that a New Testament church and a New Testament believer are growing in their faith. Because I couldn't grow as a football player if my coach didn't get on to me. I couldn't grow as a son if my dad didn't get on to me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. 
and thank you for your holiness, just the opportunity to even talk about holiness. Thank you for your presence. And God, may we see you as the source of all life. May we meditate on that and we pursue that. May we live in reverent fear. May we be in awe, but also, God, know how powerful your presence is. It's the same holiness in the Old Testament as it is in the New. And God, may we live in that reverent fear. And God, may we purify ourselves and walk forward in love. May we purify ourselves and walk forward in love. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Have a great week.